Hello and welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is actually the first recent events episode for quite a while, uh, partly because uh, I've been ill, uh, as you may remember last year, if you listened to the podcast for a long time. The winter months are generally months of continuous illness for me. Um, this year, actually, it's been a little bit better, touch wood, so hopefully it will continue that way. Uh, but I've also been very busy with stuff outside the podcast uh, recently uh, with various bits and pieces. Um, but mainly, actually, the reason I've not done recent events for a while is... Because, to be honest, there's not really been any really big stories going on that I thought warranted a full recent events episode. Um, I, I do the monthly roundup roundtable, uh, which covers the most significant events of the past month. And I've felt that most of the important things that have happened over the last kind of six weeks or so since I've done a recent events, has kind of been covered in those, really. And I, what I don't want to do is just pad out an hour every week talking about you know overhyped cases and and sort of non non-existent stories just for the sake of putting something out so i i like to um get into the interviews and things and, and other formats of episodes uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed those uh, however there has been some pretty interesting things happening this last week or so so today we're going to get into that and it's just going to be me solo rambling on and as always it's just my opinion so um you know you may have a different take and it's always great to to discuss different viewpoints as well so uh, if you think a little bit differently about any of this you know that's absolutely fine and always feel free to get in touch drop me a message send me an email because um it's great to hear from people who, who, who listen to the show uh, and hopefully uh, you enjoy listening to me uh, give my thoughts on it all as well so before we get into any of the bits that have been happening, uh, I just want to give a big shout out to the Patreon supporters, uh, because without you guys, there would be no UFO Thinker podcast. I know that's a bit of a cliche that people say, but it literally keeps everything running. Uh, and I do really appreciate the support that, you know, the messages and the feedback from you guys uh, more than I can put into words, really. So as you know, I don't run any ads or sponsorship or anything like that on the show. And I really want to keep it that way because... I mean, me personally, it's a bit of a pet hate. I hate that constant interruption from ads that you get everywhere these days. And, you know, especially in the middle of a conversation, it, it just it kind of spoils listening to things for me and watching videos on YouTube or whatever. So the Patreon supporters allow me to be able to get that support, to spend more time on the show and cover costs, etc., without having to be, you know, another platform where you just get a barrage of adverts constantly so you can just search ufo thinker patreon in google or whatever you use to search find it very easily and from a couple of bucks a month you can get early access to shows lots of other benefits and uh, it's very much appreciated for those who, who choose to support that way but as always whether you support on patreon or not great to have you here listening so right the october the 31st report uh, was due out on well guess when october the 31st so there's been a lot of discussion on this over the last couple of weeks leading up to the october the 31st and then in the few days following on from it um so let's talk about why this report was expected first of all and then spoiler alert it didn't come out and still hasn't <laughs> at the time of recording this so we'll discuss what happened 
some of the articles that came out just before the report was due and the fallout from the actual delay that we've seen on social media and a lot of the discussion around that. And uh, I will be putting timestamps in the episodes as well um, for recent events. I do try and do that wherever possible, just so if you if you want to skip to a particular bit, you can do, and you can just check the episode description, all the timestamps will be in there. So why was the report expected? Well, let's dig into a little bit of the background. So included in the Gillibrand Amendment, uh, is a legal requirement to create an annual unclassified report and a, a report of this type was supposed to be due on October the 31st. So the law, which is actually uh, US Code 53373, uh, requires an annual unclassified UAP report and it also allows for a classified annex and uh, there obviously will be a classified version as well that goes into anything that uh, Congress need to know about, which can't be revealed to the public, like, for example, the details of certain census systems and, and sensitive information. So last week, uh, Doug Dean Johnson, D. Dean Johnson on Twitter, um, has been posting some updates, as he often does, about the legislative progress and things that affect the UAP topic uh, from that side of things. So I will be quoting D.D. Johnson quite a bit um, in this background and for the for the rest of the episode as well, really. He's a very good source. I recommend you to follow on Twitter if you want to keep up with date, uh, up to date with these kinds of things. So um, last week, um, D.D. Johnson tweeted, quote, I expect both the eight congressional committees and the public to get the reports on Friday, November the 4th, unquote. So that was after the actual uh, 31st date release, uh, you know, failed to materialise. And um, Brian Bender as well, another journalist who follows this topic quite closely, uh, also tweeted, quote, the ODNI tells me that an unclassified summary of the latest UAP report to Congress will be posted online, likely the latter part of this week, unquote. Anyway, that didn't happen. And uh, as of today, which is actually the 10th of November, um, there is nothing in the way of a report having been released. And uh, D. Dean Johnson actually said yesterday uh, quote, neither classified nor unclassified UAP report has yet to be delivered to any of the eight designated congressional committees, unquote. Now, at the time of recording this, the, the actual results from the US midterm elections are just being announced and being finalised and whatnot. And personally, I do tend to think that that's probably a big part of the reason for the delays here. Now, there's been speculation that the report was delivered and then sent back for a rewrite and things of that nature but i'm not really seeing any credible information suggesting that that is the case i think more likely all signs point to the fact that nothing has actually been delivered at this moment in time uh, classified or unclassified uh, and i'm hearing that there are very few members of congress whose attention is it, it, you know isn't actually just completely consumed at the moment by what's going on with the november the 8th uh, election and then getting the results in and all the rest of it now apparently it's not uncommon for congressionally mandated reports to be late but what is a little bit odd here is that there were initially some indications and signs that the actual uh, 
congressional committees would receive the report on time on October the 31st but then it appears that something did change what that actually is difficult to say um, the there has actually only been one previous congressionally mandated unclassified UAP report and that was actually delivered on time in June 2021 so I think a lot of people have, have expected that this one would be as well and myself included I just thought well the precedent is there last time it was it was on the day that we expected it to be so um, maybe we'll have that again but apparently not now uh, again D. Dean Johnson mentioned on Twitter the other day that the law mandates a report in unclassified form um, but it may include a classified annex but the law doesn't actually say anything specific about public release no doubt the unclassified version will be released but you know you wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of a gap between submission to the committees and the public release so at this point the report is eight days late the reasons for that delay are unclear and it has become a bit of a running joke on UFO Twitter and amongst the UFO community where people are starting to post up like funny memes about the disappointment around the delay. All I can say at this point is just let's wait and see and we'll just have to keep checking and hope for the best that it actually does come out sooner rather than later. But we'll just have to wait and see. In terms of expectations of what the report is actually going to contain... Again, I'm trying to just not get my hopes up or get anything, you know, trying to make too many predictions about it, really. I think it's just a case of we'll see and deal with whatever it contains when it comes out. But what has been quite interesting is some of the uh, other articles that came out right in the build-up to the date when the report was actually due to come out. And this was quite unusual. There's a real flurry of interesting things going on around the time of when everybody expected that report to actually come out now the report was obviously due out on october the 31st which is halloween you know which is a bit of a coincidence it's quite funny really and it turned out to be perhaps you could say more of a trick than a treat <laughs> and uh, in the in the few days leading up to that supposed release that never materialized there were several articles coming out uh, talking about the UAP issue, and a particular notable one was the New York Times article by Julian Barnes. Now, this particular article comes after the New York Times previously reported on the ATIP program in an article which completely propelled the UAP topic into mainstream news and gave it a newfound credibility. That article was entitled Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program by Helen Cooper, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane. Now, that particular article reported on the existence of the Pentagon's UFO program or programs, as it turned out uh, later down the line, and it and included direct quotes from many of the people involved, including the late Senator Harry, Harry Reid and uh, Dr. Hal Puttoff. And... This was followed by No Longer in the Shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public, uh, an article that came down the line by Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane again. And that particular article included some huge quotes from Dr. Eric Davis, which made quite a splash, including the following quote, uh, quote, 
Mr. Davis, who now works for Aerospace Corporation, a defence contractor, said he gave a classified briefing to a defence department agency as recently as March about retrievals from off-world vehicles not made on this earth, unquote. And uh, Mr. Davis said that he also gave classified briefings on retrievals of unexplained objects to staff members of the Senate Armed Services Committee on October the 21st, 2019, and to staff members of the Senate Intelligence Committee two days later. And that was a bit of a contrast uh, with the tone of those articles compared to the the newest one from Julian Barnes. It almost seems like a bit of a U-turn, really, in how they are choosing to present the topic as, as a publication. Because the important thing here is this is not like an, an op-ed piece where it's just, you know, sort of clearly demarcated as the opinion of a particular journalist. This is like a a piece with the full weight of the New York Times as a publication behind it, which is worth making that distinction, I think. And this particular article is entitled, Many Military UFO Reports Are Just Foreign Spying or Airborne Trash. Now, the clues in the name there really about how this is all going to play out as an article let's let's kind of break it down a little bit that title in particular so many military ufo reports so what exactly does that mean it's not exactly putting a clear focus on exactly how many we're talking about what percentage or anything it just seems to be a word chosen to suggest a lot when you say many and the thing is Anyone who's bothered to do five minutes of homework on this topic would know that 80-90% of UFO reports from the public tend to have prosaic explanations anyway. Some have even suggested about 95% have ordinary, everyday, prosaic explanations. And if you look at what organisations like MUFON say, this is a consistent pattern amongst reports that they receive over the years and years that they've been receiving reports from the public. And and what remain interesting are the five to ten percent of cases, or maybe even less, depending on who you who you ask, the the cases that cannot be explained by ordinary day-to-day uh, explanations. Now you may expect military cases to perhaps be at a bit of a higher percentage of anomalous cases due to the fact that they're not coming from, you know, just anyone in the public. We're talking about trained observers who know a lot more clearly about what they're looking at and being trained to look out for things in the sky and whatnot. And also that the fact that the military have access to very sophisticated sensor systems and whatnot, and often military cases involve the use of sensor systems. And the fact is, Scott Bray, who is the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, actually said some very interesting things about that particular point at the recent UFO hearings. I'm just going to play the clip so you can hear exactly what was said. Um, In in the Director of National Intelligence uh, 2021 unclassified report, um, the ODNI reported 144 UAPs between 2004 and 2021 Uh, 80% of which were uh, recorded on multiple instruments. Um, And I take it with respect to some of those, you had a pilot seeing them if it was observed by a pilot, and you had multiple instruments recording it. So you really have three sensors, the human sensor and two uh, technical uh, sensors detecting the object, is that? 
For the majority of uh, uh, incidents that we had in the uh, last year's report, uh, the majority had multi-sensor data. So there it is. That's the the, uh, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, Scott Bray, saying at the hearings very, very clearly that the majority of incidents, they had multi-sensor data. Um, Very importantly as well, though, he does also go on to say uh, just shortly after that, that since the new reporting processes have come in, they've received quite a flood of reports because what they've tried to do is make it easier for military personnel to actually report incidents. And obviously when you do that, you're going to get a lot of reports of people saying, oh, I saw this thing, you know, a few years ago and, you know, this kind of thing. And often... As, as Scott Bray actually said in the hearings, those reports that flooded in, around 400 of those, are going to have a lot less data and a lot um, more just eyewitness testimony. And the many that are being referred to in this article could just be referring to that. Because if you've got an, an extra 400 reports coming in, you know, um, you're going to have many of those are probably going to be lacking in data and many of those could just be explained by prosaic explanations. As I said earlier on, 80-90%, maybe even up to 95% of public reports um, you know, can be explained fairly easily if you dig a little bit into it. Military reports, I would probably say, is quite a lo- much a lower percentage than that, but still, it's probably going to be a lot of them in there. You might even say many of those could be easily explained. But that's kind of missing the point, isn't it, of what what's actually left after you've explained many of them is, you know, a fair, fairly large percentage of them are still unexplained. And the ones that the military have generally have multi-sensor data. So those are very, very interesting. And surely those are the ones that we should be focusing on here rather than the many that can be explained or the many that don't have enough data to really get much more into it. So difficult to say um, exactly what we're talking about fully, though, in terms of actually looking at these cases until the report actually comes out and we get like some kind of official word. But anyway, moving on to the the next bit of the title. I mean, we're still just talking about the title of the article here. So next is, um, are just foreign spying or airborne trash? So just in particular there is clearly minimizing language. I mean, are we seriously expected to hear that and say, ah, well, you know, never mind. We're just being spied on. (laughs) you know we've just got foreign unidentified advanced spy vehicles flying with impunity over our most advanced ships and military training ranges it's just foreign spying or airborne trash i mean what a bizarre statement the fact is some of these reports actually may indeed and probably do refer to advanced spying capabilities from adversaries the thing is though that's not a reason to just say, oh, okay, then it's not alien, so let's not bother looking into it. I mean, first of all, quite a large number of these reports may actually have multi-sensor data, as I mentioned earlier, and be something that really can't be explained by something that a foreign adversary might have. But even the fact that a percentage of these are you know, advanced spying capabilities, that's not a reason to just forget about it and not look into it. That's actually an excellent reason to provide further funding to this and take it very seriously indeed. And on top of that, there are specific mentions at the hearing that some of these objects, in fact, quite a large number of these objects actually managed to display characteristics of advanced technology. 
Now, whether that be advanced adversarial spying technology or potentially something other, something anomalous, something that may represent a non-human intelligence and a non-human technology, you know, or maybe even just some kind of bizarre aspect of our reality that we don't understand. Surely that's worth looking into. And here's the clip actually where that gets mentioned. I thought it was worth pulling this one out too. Last year's report also said that of those 144, 18 of them uh, reportedly appear to exhibit unusual flight characteristics, appear to demonstrate advanced technology, uh, and some of them appear to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. Um, that's pretty intriguing. Uh, uh, and, and if you're able to answer this uh, in this setting, are we aware of any uh, foreign adversary capable of moving objects uh, without any discernible means of propulsion? Um, I think I would, uh, without discernible means of propulsion, I would say that uh, we're not aware of any adversary that can move an object without discernible means of propulsion. Uh, the question then becomes, in many of these cases where we don't have a discernible mean of propulsion in the data that we have, um, in some cases uh, um, there is likely sensor artifacts uh, that, uh, that, that may be hiding some of that. Uh, there's certainly some degree of, uh, of something that looks like signature management that we have seen from some of these uh, uh, UAP. Uh, I would, I would caution, I would simply say that there are a number of, uh, of events in which we do not have an explanation, in which the, and there are a small handful in which there are flight characteristics or signature management um, that we can't explain with the data that we have. Now, what's interesting about that is that oh, there's a lot that you could unpack just from that little quote there, I think, but it, it's clearly an admission that there are objects moving without discernible means of propulsion and that those objects in some cases exhibit what looks like signature management. And bearing in mind the previous clip that I played suggests that the majority of these cases were picked up on multiple sensor systems as well as human observation as well. And again, this is talking about the previous reports rather than the 400 new reports, obviously, which many of those may be lacking in data, etc., because they were as a consequence of the new reporting system, which encouraged people to step forward. So just talking about the previous reports, we know the majority of them had multi-sensor data as well as a human um, observer as well, potentially multiple. We don't know the specifics of these reports because they're not the details are not available publicly. But... If that's the case, and there are some of these these uh, cases that do have multi-sensor data, and those multi-sensors are showing something which looks like objects moving without discernible means of propulsion, and also exhibiting things that look like sensor management, you know that that does suggest that there are a, a potentially small number, maybe a significant number of these cases which are very interesting, and that don't seem to be easily explainable. And to me. That is what this article should be focusing on, the fact that there are some very intriguing cases in there. To suggest and to use that type of language that many of them can be explained as this or that shouldn't really be a surprise anyway. 
And then to go on to suggest that it's just foreign spying, you know, as if to suggest that, oh, never mind, then we'll just won't look into it anymore. It, it all just seems a little bit strange, and it's almost like the article is set out to just make it out that this isn't very interesting and just look in that direction. There's nothing going on over here. Um, the motivation of the of the author of the article, I, I don't know why they would have chosen to do that. Have they just not looked into what's really going on here? Have they not done the homework? Have they been fed a certain line from certain insiders it's difficult to exactly say that but that's the overall impression you get from reading this the choice of language and the points that they've chosen to specifically focus on and miss out a lot of the really interesting stuff that that actually doesn't really get mentioned at all in the article is is a is a bit telling as to the motivation uh, for for writing um this article and, and rather than referring to specific individuals that are willing to go on record as i mentioned in those previous articles for the new york times this article extensively refers to an unnamed military individual or officials some examples of this from the article are government officials believe this article is based on interviews with american officials familiar with the findings of the pentagon Military officials have repeatedly said, so we're referring to an anonymous source here, basically, who does not want to be named. Now, that is okay, because journalism often does refer to anonymous sources. And, you know, I've said this on other articles, you know, wherever they sit on the kind of spectrum of skeptic to believer, even I don't like that word believer, but you, it's the only way you can really describe it in, in this case. Wherever you an article or a news source or a YouTube video or whatever sits on that scale, you, we do have to take anonymous sources with a pinch of salt. And this Julian Barnes article talks about many of the cases being explained as this or as that, despite not claiming to have ever seen the report itself. There's nothing in this article to suggest that the author has seen this, the, you know, the, the upcoming report or anything like that. Um, they've not been given any official explanation for the processes that have gone through, that have, that have been used to actually arrive at these conclusions. And I would say that we have to see the report and see the workings out before jumping to any conclusions about whether or not these cases are a case closed. And that really doesn't seem to stop the author of this article from referring to, you know, three specific Pentagon confirmed cases. So... The article says, quote, one of the videos refers to as go fast appears to show an object moving at immense speed. But an analysis by the military says that this is an illusion created by the angle of observation against water. So according to Pentagon calculations, the object is moving only about 30 miles an hour, unquote. So again, here we're presented with an explanation from an unnamed military official. It just merely says an analysis by the military. What analysis are we talking about? It says, according to Pentagon calculations. Well, what does that even mean? Like, we've not actually got any clear information about what has been done. Is that something that's contained in the new report? It doesn't appear to be because nobody's seen this report yet. And I would be surprised if, and it doesn't state that the, the author of this article has seen the report. And I'd be surprised if they've seen it before the congressional committees. So what Pentagon calculations are we actually talking about here? You know, it doesn't say. And, you know, the only um, indications we've actually had from the Pentagon so far is that these cases are unsolved. There has been no official 
statement given that the case is solved. And uh, Susan Goff, the Pentagon spokesperson, was uh, apparently in contact with an individual on Twitter called John, who had uh, screenshotted her response in an email in which she confirmed that, quote, DOD has not changed its statement regarding those three videos, unquote. So the assertions in the NYT article are nothing more than hearsay, information coming from an anonymous source, and none of it is officially confirmed yet. It is worth pointing out, um, I can't verify 100% that that statement from Susan Goff was a genuine um, email that came from Susan Goff. As far as I can tell so far, it does appear to be. And uh, more to the point, the the official DOD line on those videos is that they are unsolved cases. And we haven't heard anything to suggest officially that there has been um, an explanation decided upon. The article goes on to say, quote, another video known as Gimbal shows an object that appears to be turning or spinning. Military officials now believe that it is the optics of the classified image sensor designed to help target weapons that make the object appear like it is moving in a strange way, unquote. Now, again, this is strongly refuted by the actual patent holder of the image sensor that's being referred to here, which was used in the actual capturing of this footage. Now, how do we know that the that this particular hypothesis was refuted by uh, the, the patent holder? It's worth clearing that up. So, Marek von Rennenkampf, who is a journalist and writer for The Hill and amongst other publications, and somebody deeply involved in the technical investigations of the gimbal footage, has confirmed to me um, via DM that the, the patent holder confirmed to him privately that this theory of optics creating an illusion of strange movement is not correct. Now, Marek has also shared the parts of an email exchange with the patent holder publicly on his Twitter feed, etc., in which the patent holder disputes other aspects of the theory put forward by Mick West, who's a kind of a popular debunker on the UFO topic. Um, and Mick has confirmed to me in a Twitter exchange that he doesn't think the patent holder does dispute Mick's uh, gimbal hypothesis, but I personally think that there's more kind of out there to suggest that the patent holder disagrees with Mick's theory than agrees with it. Now, obviously, the the phone call with with Marek in which the patent holder, um, you know, supposedly questioned um, Mick's hypothesis and and, and uh, vouches for the fact that it Mick isn't correct here. That that's not a public record. That's just something that we're hearing from somebody who has had a private conversation. And it's worth mentioning that the patent holder became embroiled in a bit of a um, debate about this whole thing. And as we know, UFO Twitter can be a bit of an intense place. And the patent holder basically decided that they didn't want to have anything to do with the drama and has to be completely removed from the conversations and their name to be taken off everything uh, where it was mentioned, which is pretty understandable. I don't think they knew what they were letting themselves in for when they started, the patent holder started to give uh, opinions uh, about one way or the other. And as soon as they realised the extent of the drama that would come along with that, they didn't want to be involved anymore, which is understandable. And obviously I won't mention the patent holder's name um, for that reason. They don't want to be a part of the public discussion on this. But before they retreated from the public eye... I would suggest that there was probably more there to suggest they don't agree with Mick's hypothesis, but really 
it is kind of just a you know Marrick's word against mix and you know the patent holder now doesn't want to be part of this discussion publicly so where do we go from here i thought it was worth sharing some tweets that i sent to mick west to try and clarify this gimbal hypothesis situation once and for all because obviously it's discussed in the article here and it's claimed that you know the pentagon officials uh, or whatever the wording was let me just check um so it says military officials now believe that it's the optics of the classified image sensor. And again, it doesn't say in the article whether or not that's talking about the official report has decided that. When it says military officials, who's that? Who are we talking about there? We don't know. We don't know that the process they've gone through to arrive at that conclusion. Is it just one guy who you happen to speak to or, you know, one lady? Who, who are we talking about here? It doesn't say. Um, so I thought it was worth digging into a little bit. And I asked Mick on Twitter three questions so number one do you have a quote from the patent holder which agrees with your hypothesis number two why are you inclined to take an anonymous source's word for it on this without seeing the process to arrive at that conclusion and number three why not go through a peer review process for your gimbal hypothesis just to elaborate on those questions a little bit i also posted these as well number one you know, do you have a quote from the patent holder which agrees with your hypothesis? It would be good to clear this up as there is there appears to be more to suggest that the patent holder actually disagrees with your hypothesis than agrees with it. And this is pretty important, surely, if we want to actually understand whether or not this hypothesis is correct. I mean, if we actually want to get to the truth here of what's gone on, was the gimbal moving in a strange way that can't be explained or is it easily explainable because of this mechanism within the image sensor you know we we do want to get to the bottom of that no matter where you sit on the spectrum um so you know surely that would be you know very good to clarify whether or not you actually have a direct quote you can provide from the patent holder and um, because i think there seems to be more out there to suggest that the patent holder before they kind of disappeared from the public eye actually disagreed with with their uh, mixed hypothesis there um so and then number two was why are you inclined to take an anonymous source's word for it on this occasion without seeing the process to arrive at that conclusion because i always advocate for the taking with a pinch of salt in any cases where information comes through an anonymous source and it is important to do that whether or not the source actually supports your preferred hypothesis or not and in this case we don't have any idea how this unnamed official has arrived at this conclusion it just seems quite a stretch to just jump to the conclusion of saying oh well see the pentagon have said this and this they've not really have this it's just an anonymous source and the third one why not go through the peer review process for the gimbal hypothesis I've never claimed to understand the finer technical points of this debate personally. Um, you know, for me and for many others, it'd be very helpful to understand if there's a consensus amongst subject matter experts on that particular point. And I'd be more than happy to support that these, that that hypothesis if that is the case. Uh, so peer review sort of seems the answer there doesn't it that's kind of what peer review is all about you put forward an idea and then people who actually know what they're talking about with the really finer technical points can can look at that check whether or not it's all factually correct and and, and go through it and, and see whether it all stands up and uh, mick basically replied uh, to that uh, saying uh, quote after i explained my hypothesis to the patent holder in depth 
He said he could not comment on anything other than what was written in the patent. He regretted getting involved. He did not support or reject the hypothesis. Let's just wait until Monday, unquote. Bearing in mind, this is um, when we all expected the report would come out on Monday, which was the 31st. So when he says, when Mick's saying there, let's just wait until Monday, that's what he's referring to. The thing is, you know, I would agree with Mick West there. You know, let's not get carried away here and start accepting the word of anonymous sources without seeing how they've arrived at that conclusion. Yeah, good shout. Let's wait until the official report comes out, go from there. But unfortunately, that's kind of not what Mick West is actually doing. He did continue to tweet about how his theories have been confirmed and the Pentagon agrees with him, etc. And tweets such as, quote, Fantastic mysteries like Gimbal and GoFast, which the Pentagon now admits are an image sensor effect and something moving slowly. There will always be real UFOs. Some will be the most interesting. Solved cases are immediately never interesting. It's the way of the low information zone. Liz, uh, unquote. So, again, that's a tweet directly saying the Pentagon now admits are an image sensor and something moving slowly. We don't know that. The Pentagon haven't said anything of the sort. And, uh, the Pentagon just doesn't admit anything at this point. So that, that I think is just just an incorrect statement. And and you know, let's have a, a look at that low information zone concept as well. Something Mix, you know, quite um, puts forward quite a lot. Mick tends to assert that all UFOs could be easily explained if there was more data and that cases that are unexplained are basically only unidentified due to the lack of data. That's the basic premise of the Liz theory. So as I said, Liz stands for low information zone. However, in my opinion, it just doesn't really stack up. I mean, the, the Liz concept of most cases would be easily explainable with more data, you know, doesn't really hold water if you have a look at it. As as we heard earlier on when I, I used that uh, quote from, from Scott Bray, actually the majority of those cases have multi-sensor data as well as the human aspect. So that's the majority of the cases. And as we know, those cases were unexplained and the most interesting case of all the tic tac you know actually remains unsolved despite all attempts to understand it and that case is very firmly in the high information zone it's been confirmed again by scott bray at the hearings before congress that the investigators had an absolute abundance of data and evidence on that particular case multiple eyewitnesses Three separate jets intercepted the object. It was picked up on various sensor systems aboard the jets and aboard the nearby ships. All of the data matches up, ruling out sensor error, and the object was observed doing things that are impossible to do with human technology as far as that we know of. The UAP task force also had access to the classified data, which the public don't have, and even with that, the case remains unsolved. So it's a clear example of a case that's in the high information zone and it remains a complete mystery as to what was going on there. And and Mick West himself has even admitted as such. And despite that, he still maintains this low information zone theory. It does seem a bit baffling to me, but you know, 
each to their own at the end of the day. And bearing in mind, none of this is a personal attack on Mick West whatsoever because I've actually never had an unpleasant interaction with the man. Uh, I've always found him very civil to deal with. I've had a bit of a laugh even occasionally on, on, on Twitter, uh, despite with me you know, agree, dis, uh, disagreeing with him on, on many things. There are actually a couple of good points that he makes uh, on certain things, and I think you know a good example of why we need skeptics and debunkers around. We don't want to live in an echo chamber. And one example of um, of Mick West pointing out uh, something that I thought was a, a good point is um, a, a tweet that he said, which was quote: "Why does the New York Times use anonymous sources? They explain their rationale." and steps they use to ensure the integrity of the info, including the reporter and at least one editor knowing the source's identity, unquote. So I do think that's kind of true. You know, if... Oh, not, not kind of true. I think that that's very true, actually. If a trusted journalist with a good track record is using anonymous sources, there's nothing wrong with that. And... It is interesting information coming from that person, but in my opinion, should just be taken with a pinch of salt. And the thing is, that same rationale has to be applied to journalists doing an article that you agree with as well as disagree with. And many skeptics are somewhat cherry-picking, I think, in this regard. If an article comes out that backs up their hypothesis, they tend to agree with it fully and, and, and you know proclaim it as now it's officially accepted by the Pentagon that this and this is happening. Whereas when an article comes out talking about whistleblowers and that information's come through um, anonymous sources, let's say a whistleblower talking about some kind of UFO-related program in the Pentagon, it gets dismissed and minimised as, oh, it's just an anonymous source, we're not going to take that seriously, and so on. And I often see uh, you know, journalists, some of whom I know, uh, getting harassed on Twitter for using anonymous sources, and whereas here, the info brought forward by anonymous sources is kind of being held up as definitive proof by many sceptics and debunkers, and we shouldn't pick and choose at the end of the day. And uh, I, I, again, you know, just to kind of show the other side of the coin here, Mick actually did make a very good point about a huge inaccuracy within this article. So um, Mick said, quote, military analysts remain puzzled by the third video known as FLIR-1. The object captured in the 2004 video appears to hover over the water, jump erratically, then peel away. No, it doesn't. The FLIR 1 video shows an object at altitude and high speed not hovering, unquote. So that was Mick West's statement there, saying, no, it doesn't, the object doesn't do that in the video. And the full text from the article, by the way, just in case anybody was wondering, is, quote, military analysts remain puzzled by the third video known as FLIR 1. The object captured in the 2004 video appears to hover over the water, jump erratically, then peel away. Military officials say that that event is more difficult to explain, but officials who have studied it are convinced it is not a piece of alien technology, unquote. Now, I mean, I could get into the actual specifics of that quote from the article there. You know, if that object is more difficult to explain, how have the officials that have studied it been convinced that it's not a piece of anything i mean alien technology is just like a you know it seems like a massive simplification well, nobody's really saying it's definitively this or that you know what does alien technology even mean there are many different hypotheses to explain what uap are what is for sure is that that object is a uap which is an unidentified aerial phenomenon and at the end of the day 
the object in the video doesn't actually appear to hover over the water, jump erratically and then peel away. The only thing that you could say that it definitely does is peel away. It just shows an object, which is, you know, alleged to be the Tic Tac, which hovers in the middle of the screen and then peels away. And again, even the peeling away has been disputed by various people as to whether it really does move or whether that's just the camera. But at this point, I'm... I'm I'm of the opinion that the object does peel away because that's been backed up by a lot of the other eyewitness testimony and whatnot. But anyway, the point is, it's very clear there, and, and it's a, an excellent point from Mick West there, and it was spotted by a few people, including myself, when the article first came out. Um, and the article was actually changed shortly to remove all mention of the FLIR 1, but still contains the inaccurate description, which seems really bizarre. And clearly the author maybe hadn't done the homework on the ins and outs of that specific case and was what's clear is they were forced to change certain inaccurate aspects of, of what was being described there. And it ended up being changed to instead of military analysts remain puzzled by the third video known as FLIR 1, the object captured in the video, blah, blah, blah. It was changed to Pentagon an analysts remain puzzled by some of the videos collected by the military. One where an object hovers over the water, jumps erratically, then peels away is more difficult to explain. So I'm not really sure what that is all about because what what is clear for sure there is that they initially mentioned the FLIR 1 video and talked about things that aren't shown in that video. It was a clear factual error. Something had gone wrong there with what was being written. And I'm not exactly sure what video they're talking about where an object hovers over the water, jumps erratically, and then peels away. Because that's definitely not the FLIR 1 video, unless there's more of the FLIR 1 video that exists somewhere. Which actually, if that's the case, that's fascinating. Or maybe there's another video that we're not, because they removed all in the article. If we're going to take them at, you know, at face value of what's being said here, and there actually is an object that's been reported on by a Pentagon app, uh, analyst and they remain puzzled by it are we really talking about a video where an object hovers over the water jumps erratically and then peels away that sounds like a really interesting video and it's not the FLIR 1 video that's for sure because that's simply not what the FLIR 1 video does unless there's more of that FLIR 1 video that the public haven't seen yet so a very baffling paragraph and what's clear there is that they were forced to change certain inaccuracies about the article and when you know that it's quite baffling to see the gushing responses from various sceptics and debunkers on Twitter who have been eager to kind of stick the knife in thinking that their hypotheses have been confirmed. You know, despite actual evidence to suggest that the article is very inaccurate, you know, we're talking about an article here with clear inaccuracies, as pointed out by Mick West and myself and various other people on Twitter. But that didn't stop um, Stephen Greenstreet saying... This is the first time the New York Times has released an accurate article about UFOs. Well, it's clearly not very accurate, is it? If they've literally had to be forced to change certain completely inaccurate statements within the article. Uh, Twitter sceptic Bradley Johansson, who I, I must point out has done some very good sceptical work actually on certain cases, even if I don't always agree with all of his points, um, referred to this article as, quote, fascinating and enlightening article by Julian Barnes, unquote. And it's just, to me, it's it's kind of, it gives the game away about what certain people are willing to accept as, as a standard of journalism. You know, 
this is clearly containing a lot of biased language. We're talking about things being brought forward by anonymous sources, um, you know, to, to make a specific point full of minimizing languages, just this, it's just that. And at the end of the day, if people are willing to hold that up as a fantastic article, when it's clearly not, you know, I mean, I really try to look at things as as objectively as possible. And this article to me, even if it's, you know, was, was kind of non-skeptical and was talking about some amazing thing, I would still be thinking some of the language in this is a bit of an odd choice and doesn't really seem to be particularly factually correct about certain things like the FLIR video. So to see people really praising the article, it sort of gives away about what their agenda actually is. Um, and it's just worth bearing that in mind uh, going forward. Now, the response from others on UFO Twitter was not nearly so positive. Uh, we've got Nobel Prize nominated Professor Gary Nolan, who's obviously quite active in this topic at the moment, described it as, quote, a poorly veiled opinion piece, not news, repeats what's been said for the last 50 years. His w use of the word many hides a whole raft of possibilities, unquote. And uh, also he said about it, quote, probably the worst article on the subject matter I've read in many years. Opinion thinly veiled as news, unquote. And I think uh, that pretty much sums up the article uh, and, you know, in a, in a nice concise couple of quotes there. Uh, to finish off on what I'm going to talk about on that one. And uh, there were a couple of other articles as well. There was quite a storm of articles, really. And, and you might think, very unusual that all of these articles would come out particularly trying to express very sceptical uh, narratives about the report and almost to preempt the report. You know, these articles all came out in the weekend that the report was due to come out. And, you know, I suppose, you know, the more conspiratorial-minded amongst us may think that there was perhaps a bit of an agenda behind that to set the scene for the report. What does that tell you about what the report's actually going to contain? I mean, it's a bit speculative, really, but it's just worth considering. I wouldn't put too much weight into that kind of thing, but it's definitely worth thinking about. Now then, to conclude and summarise as, as best I can about the report, I think it's safe to say there was a lot of hype, there was a lot of expectation, there was a lot of speculation, and there was even a lot of preemptive articles that came out for whatever that motivation may be right before the report was, was due to come out, and then there's clearly been delays to the article itself. I think my point is... You know, these articles coming out with various, you know, opinions about the UAP issue right before the report was about to drop and, and all of the hype and speculation on UFO Twitter and, and the expectations that people may have is interesting to take on board. But at the end of the day, the proof's going to be in the pudding. There's not much point kind of getting all worked up about the whole thing until the report actually comes out. And then we'll just see what we're dealing with right then and there. I mean, this article, the Julian Barnes talking about the various cases and, you know, the fact that they're, they're now kind of solved, according to this bloke that I spoke to in the Pentagon, seems a bit crazy, doesn't it? You just wait till the report comes out and then we'll have a conversation about it. And like I said, my interaction with Mick West, that's what Mick said. He didn't really have a good answer for, for the things that I was asking him. And he said, look, let's just wait for the report. And I think that is right at the end of the day. Let's wait for the report. I just It's a shame that a lot of the debunkers are not doing that. And now they're proclaiming that the Pentagon says what I said all along. And that's actually not the case. It's just Julian Barnes spoke to somebody in the Pentagon. We don't know who that is. We don't know how accurate that information is. Maybe there are indications from that 
coming from an anonymous source that there are those within the Pentagon who are convinced that uh, these are mostly just um, you know uh, drones and spying equipment and you know airborne clutter but even if that's the case most of them are that that's not saying all of them are is it now we'll just have to wait and see and I will be doing some reporting uh, some some podcasts and things like that on a breakdown of what the report actually does contain so keep your eyes peeled for that uh, we were planning on doing a show um with myself and a couple of other people uh, but obviously the report didn't come out as expected so rather than just do a show for the sake of it i thought we'd just wait until the report actually does come out and then we'll be able to uh, talk about it a bit more uh, when it's out so that's the plan everything's just kind of on hold in that regard until the report drops trying to avoid too much expectation of what the report may or may not contain um, it could be a lot of different things so let's just see wait till it comes out and then we'll know what we're actually dealing with so moving on from that a couple of things that you might want to know about there have been also going on that will keep you going give you something to keep you ticking over if you're interested in you know ufos and potential non-human life forms and whatnot and um, that you might want to check out that have been quite good that have come out recently um so the report's not out but what has come out is an excellent article uh, from the hermetic penetrator and amiga point as a bit of a collaborative effort um, which is really well worth checking out i mean i call this an article if i'm honest with you it's actually more like a book we're talking about something that's about 200 i think it's 246 pages long so i mean i've got longer books um yeah you know, i've got shorter books should i say than that that is really quite an amazing amount of work that's gone into that and the article is all about crash retrievals loose threads on crash retrievals and if you're interested in the possibility of ufos having crashed and what happened to the material from those crashes and and all as you can imagine an article of that size it's very very detailed and um, so far i've only kind of skimmed through it as you can imagine it's quite a big read but i think i may actually do a deep dive podcast on that at some point um because i think it's a very important article with so much detail and crash retrievals as you'll probably know if you've listened to the podcast for a while is an area that i'm particularly fascinated with so great work from the hermetic penetrator and amiga point um definitely well worth reading that article if you want to find it you can go to my twitter uh, at ufo thinker on twitter and i actually retweeted a couple of different links so you can find it in the last couple of days posts um and um i'll leave a, a link in the description actually of the show as well just so that anybody who wants to to download it can actually download the the, the whole article uh, but yeah just an amazing uh, piece of work going into all that kind of detail about crash retrievals fantastic to see and it's going to keep me going for a few weeks that i think it may end up being after christmas by the time i actually do a breakdown of what's you know talked about in the article but we shall see uh, but looking forward to getting into that into more detail over the coming weeks and also a couple of other bits as well uh, that you might want to check out uh, i recently watched a unsolved mysteries on netflix and uh, i think it's the second episode is uh, about the lake michigan ufo case now this is like a factual series so it's not like a fiction thing it's actually about this absolutely fascinating case uh, of ufos having been picked up and it, it follows specifically some of the key witnesses who actually saw these ufos um in 1994 and 
in particular, one that I found really fascinating was a meteorologist with the National Weather Service who was on duty that evening, Jack Bushong. Uh, I may be saying that name slightly wrong there. I can't remember how it was pronounced, but anyway, you get the picture. Uh, and he was working at the Weather Service uh, Service office by himself on the night in question um, at Muskegon. And uh, the night was just a regular night, and then all of a sudden he got a phone call from the Ottawa County Dispatcher, who had been taking all of these calls of local people reporting strange objects in the sky, asking advice as to whether there was anything going on, what what is this? And he, he actually managed to locate um, these objects on, on the radar system, um, doing very unusual things like travelling at 100 miles an hour and then stopping, hovering, and then shooting upwards to 5,000 feet, then 10,000 feet, and then going into triangle formations and... Um, and I was I was really pleasantly surprised by this uh, show. I, I thought it was excellent in the detail it went into. Uh, it wasn't over sensationalized. I, I kind of thought you know a Netflix show. I was half expecting it to be not as credible as certain uh, other other UFO documentaries and things like that. And um, but it was very good. I really enjoyed it, and I definitely it's a case I have heard about before. I was quite familiar with already, but um, just the tone of the way it was put together, the interviews with the witnesses. I thought it was. Very very credibly done and um it just kind of reminded me of what a fascinating case that actually is and um really quite uh, poignant as well the effect that it's had on on jack the the uh the weather the weather guy and how confident he was in in the interviews as to you know he was very familiar with this radar system and he, and he clearly goes into the reasons that it could not have been any kind of gas it could not have been any kind of weather formation. It was clearly a solid object, and he was trained in picking up. It literally, it was a weather station. You know, they were picking up weather formations and things like that. And he was—that's literally what he did. That was his job to operate this system to pick up on different types of, um, you know, atmospheric conditions. And he was confident that it wasn't anything to do with that. It must have been a solid object. He was getting a very strong radar return on these objects. And it completely backs up all of the witness testimony, and there were families. And again, all of this is in the in the show that you can that you can watch, uh, who actually saw very close from uh, I think it was like a hundred feet away, um, a, 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 like a chrome, like a shiny metal object, um, and and that would obviously again be backed up by the the type of radar return that this thing was actually returning. So uh, an absolutely fascinating case, one that I will when I get the time to do it, uh, try and do a deep dive into. Uh, it's just such an interesting case. So many witnesses, and um, you know, I would probably say it's right up there in terms of the data density that's available and uh, the, the show actually plays which i have heard before uh, but again very interesting to hear it in in the context of the show um it, it plays the actual tapes of all of the various uh, emergency services calls of people reporting this thing to the emergency services and even it plays a recording of uh, jack himself actually talking about what he's seeing in real time on the radar he didn't realize that the, the the phone call was actually being reported at the time um he was just you know just talking as you would do if you saw something really unexplainable on a, on a radar system um so an absolutely fascinating uh, case really really interesting and um, definitely worth watching so it's on uh, netflix and it's the unsolved mysteries um series i've not actually watched any of the others i just watched the ufo one but very interesting episode um so 
Another thing that might be worth checking out, and this is a little bit different, this is actually kind of a fiction uh, type of thing. There's a series uh, called Cabinet of Curiosities, again on Netflix, and this is uh, Guillermo del Toro, who's a, actually a fantastic filmmaker, director, and uh, he's actually put this together, kind of curated a series. Uh, I think there's eight episodes at the moment. And uh, to be honest, if you like uh, sort of like horror uh, you know, very creatively done uh, horror, it's definitely worth a watch anyway. I would point out that obviously it's pretty graphic in a lot of these episodes, so if that's not your type of thing, you might not want to watch it. But there are a couple of um, excellent, you know, UFO, alien, non-human related uh, episodes in there, specifically about like non-human life. Um, not like you know witches and wizards and things but actually kind of like alien related and um, so and, and I found them very very interesting indeed uh, so I would definitely recommend to check those out if you like that kind of horror alien related um, you know series and I really enjoyed in particular the the two episodes out of the eight which are um, kind of alien themed uh, is is episode number three the autopsy and episode number seven the viewing now they're not entirely all about you know ufo alien related uh, stuff but the overall theme i won't say too much because i don't want to give away any spoilers um but yeah th those two are definitely worth checking out from that point of view but i really enjoyed uh, the uh, the whole series actually as well i've got my favorites um and uh, if anybody else has watched it, let me know what you, your favourites were out of the whole thing. I think I would say that my favourite was number seven, The Viewing, followed by possibly number one, Lot 36, which was an, an excellent episode as well. Um, and then probably followed up by episode three, The Autopsy. And then four, The Outside, that was excellent as well. And... Yeah, the rest of them, uh, I won't I won't go into the whole series, but yeah, excellent watch. I really like uh, Guillermo del, del Toro's uh, movies in general, so this was great to, to see. And just thought I'd mention it in case anybody's not aware of it, because I thought it was a really good watch. Um, anyway, so hopefully there's a few little recommendations of, of, of things to keep you going while you wait for the, the UFO report to come out eventually, whenever it does come out. And uh, I'm actually recording this on Thursday. Uh, which is the 10th of November, and it may be that we see the report this Friday. It may be that we see the report next Friday. I, I suppose it really could come at any time now, and what will happen is, like I said, when that report comes out, I will be taking a few days to read it through thoroughly, reread it, digest the information, analyze a little bit of the fallout and see what, you know, see what comes out as a result of the report coming out, and, um, as I usually do, it won't be a case of rushing to get to the recording booth immediately as soon as the report comes out. I do like to think about these things, re read it and reread it, really kind of let it sink in. And then, rest assured, there will be an episode, probably with a couple of uh, collaborators joining me to discuss the report as well. I may end up doing a solo episode, breaking it down, and then also doing a bit of a panel show talking about what's in the report too. So, um, yeah. That is about all we've got time for for today's episode. Hope you've enjoyed that. Nice to do a recent events show, uh, actually, because it's been quite a while since I've done one. So um, I hope you've enjoyed that. And as I mentioned earlier, if you do enjoy what I do here on the podcast, um, the support on Patreon, it really is uh, very much appreciated. So please do head over there. And uh, 
if you've if you're not uh, thinking of doing the patreon side of things another way you can support the podcast um, which is completely free and takes about five seconds to do is leave a review of the podcast um, if you're listening on spotify for example there's a little star thing right next to the top of the podcast page and you, it takes literally a couple of seconds you can just click and obviously a five star review if you do enjoy what i do here would be very much appreciated and um, because that just helps with algorithms and things like that as to the more reviews the more positive reviews that i get for the podcast the more it gets recommended to other people who might like it and obviously it's always good to spread the word to people who may enjoy this kind of content so i'm going to leave it there for now so as always if you've listened to this point of the show you're clearly a hardcore listener of the podcast so thank you for joining me once again right to the end and um I'm glad you have because that means you probably enjoyed it. Uh, either that or you fell asleep and you've left me running in the background. Um, but, you know, you know, joking aside, it's, it's it's really cool to to think that, you know, people sometimes message me saying that, you know, they listen to some of the podcast on the way to work or, you know, in the car when they go into this place or that place. And I even had somebody message me telling me that they work on a uh, a fishing ship and in the Arctic Circle. So if you're out there, you know who you are. Thank you for listening. And it's just so cool to think that, you know, I, I'm sitting here talking about something I find fascinating and, and people from all over the world you really enjoy it. And I sort of become a little part of people's lives. So thanks for listening. It's great to uh, to be doing this. And uh, I'm just very thankful to be able to do it. So uh, long may it continue. And uh, till next time, take it easy, stay curious. And I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Fever Podcast. Podcast.